I was visiting with my grandson. It's a grandma, grandma story, I'm sorry. I was visiting with my grandson, Alton, a few weeks ago. And Alton is nine months old, and he is, oh, just pure joy. I just love him. And he was sitting, I, we took our son and daughter-in-law out for breakfast, and he was sitting on my lap at, uh, at the pancake house, and I was squeezing lemon into my hot water. And he loves to eat. He's a little chunker and just loves food. And um, he wanted my lemon. And I said, oh, no, buddy, you won't like this. And, and he just kept reaching for it. And finally, my daughter-in-law said, oh, just give him a little taste. And, and I, I was like, this is bitter. He's not going to like this. And so I just very carefully touched his lip with the lemon. And I wish you could have seen his face. <laughs> He puckered up and made the worst face, and he began to spit. He didn't want this lemon in his mouth. And, and so I, I was teasing with him, and I, I offered him some more, and he's learned to shake his head no, and he shook his head no, that he didn't want that. And as I watched him, I, I thought of myself, and I wondered how much better my life would be if when the enemy of my soul handed me sour lemons if I adamantly refused them like Alton. But instead, so often, in, in my refusal to move on and forgive, I keep reaching for more. I keep wanting to indulge in the bitter bite that he wants to offer me, feeling justified and warranted and little realizing it's poisoning my entire life. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. I really wanted to move on to chapter two, um, but the Lord would not allow me to do that. And so we're going to park again and talk about bitterness one more time tonight before we move on next week. I have the sermon almost finished for next week, um, but if you have your Bibles, you can open them to the eighth book of the Bible, um, right after the book of Judges the book of Ruth, if you could, to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be looking once again at verses 20 through 22. Would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I'm just humbled by your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you that your goodness runs after us. And Lord, I will sing of the goodness of the Lord. You are so, so good. And I pray, Lord, as I prayed earlier, that you would flood this place with your presence. I pray even for the people who are watching on live stream, Father, that you would meet them in the place where they are as well, and that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would just come upon me, Lord, and help me to preach with power and with authority, with great confidence and boldness. Guide me through this word, I pray, and bring clarity to it, I ask, Father, let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that rests upon every person sitting here tonight. Penetrate their hearts and their minds. Penetrate my heart and my mind with your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I read an article by Katie Unalaki that said, sometimes people who are handed lemons don't make lemonade. They're either not interested in turning the sour hand they've been dealt into a sweeter one, or they've had so much thrown at them that they haven't been able to find a way to do so. And I think that that is Naomi at the beginning of our story. She had been handed lemons by the enemy of her soul and lived puckered because of it when she could be making something sweet out of it. 
It's interesting to me to see the parallel between her and Ruth. Ruth had endured a lot of pain and heartache and lost herself, and yet instead of being bitter and puckered up by the bitter hand she had been dealt, she chose to make the best of it. We have a choice. If you look up the word bitterness, you will find that it means piercing hurt or bitter hatred. One commentator I read said the word can also translate into the meaning sticky. I like that a lot because it's so like bitterness. You see, it clings to you. It sticks to you. It's one thing to be hurt or angry. It's another to let it stick to you and be embedded in you. And trust me, Bitterness sticks to you. It's difficult to get rid of. Dave and I were driving down the road the other day, and Dave said, look at that bumper sticker that somebody tried to remove from their car. And I looked up, and, and you could just see uh, almost really faintly the word Jesus. Somebody bought a used car and didn't want a Jesus sticker on it, and so they took it off, but I loved it. It had a little remnant that was left behind, and that's bitterness. You can say, I don't want this, but it leaves a little remnant behind. It's sticky. It sticks to our life. It's so funny to me. I had so many people text me last week and say, I'm not bitter, Rhea, just so you know. Edward Hinson said, bitterness is a deep harbored hurt that poisons the soul. It eats away the vitality of your spiritual life like a cancer of the soul. It is the opposite of forgiveness. I want to challenge that definition there uh, because I really believe that you can forgive and still hang on to bitterness because I think it's more than just forgiving. I I think it's that self-righteous, what about me? And this has been done to me. The Bible makes it clear that we are not to let a root of bitterness grow up within us because it will grow up and defile many. It won't just defile the person you are bitter towards. It will defile many. Proverbs tells us that each heart knows its own bitterness. The writer of Acts tells us that bitterness is like a poison, that we can be poisoned by bitterness. Emotional pain and heartache left untreated will poison even the best Christian. It's easy to spot someone who's bitter. And I want you to do an honest inventory. I know that so many of you told me that you're not bitter, but I, I really want you to, to search your heart tonight as we, as we teach on this, because I had to search my heart this week as I studied. Bitter people are not always easy to deal with. They're very negative or critical of others. Bitter people can be cynical. Uh, when I see a cynical person, I always know they have a root of bitterness within them. Bitter people are easily angered. They can be caustic in their responses. They keep a record of wrong. And even though they say they forgive, they're quick to whip that record back out whenever it's convenient. They're easily offended. They tend to think everyone is out to get them. They're inclined to hold grudges and find it difficult to let things go. They aren't really interested in others. They just want to focus on themselves and how unfair life has been to them. They're usually jealous of other people. They, they, they like to complain, and they're blind to anything they do wrong. It's always about what somebody else does. See, it's not hard to, to spot a bitter person. T.S. Rendell defines bitterness as the atmosphere produced in us internally when we meditate on life circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. I'm going to give that to you again because I thought it was good. 
Bitterness is the atmosphere produced in us internally when we meditate over life circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. James Merritt says, bitterness is harbored hurt and hidden in the heart. Harbored hurt, hidden in the heart. When we left off last week, Naomi was bitter. And yes, her life and her circumstances contributed to it, but it didn't cause it. What caused her bitterness was choice. You see, we may not be able to do anything about our circumstances and and, and the things that life hands at us, but bitterness is always a choice. We may not have the power to change what's been done to us, but we do have the power to choose whether or not we'll allow what's been done to us to make us bitter. Naomi did what T.S. Rendell cautioned against. She meditated over her life circumstances and she decided that she had not been given a fair deal. She blamed God for what happened to her. And as a result, bitterness became Naomi's identity. It was all she was focused on. In fact, she said, just change my name. That is who I am. Remember, we talked last week about the importance of names. And names were not randomly given like Rhea. I mean, what was my mom thinking? Diarrhea, gonorrhea, I got called everything. but, But they weren't just randomly assigned. Names in Bible times were given. They were almost prophetic. This is what we're saying about this person. Or it was a trait they saw in them early on. And it attached to them. Naomi means pleasant or sweetness. Oh, can you imagine a name like that? Just call me sweetness wherever I go. She just, she was sweet. And, and, and then uh, her name at the end, she says, don't even call me. They said, is this Naomi? They didn't even recognize her because you see, that's what bitterness does. It changes your countenance. She said, don't even call me Naomi. I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm not sweet anymore because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. He's given me bitter circumstances in life and it's left me bitter. It's interesting that scripture draws a picture of those two different women and their differing responses to pain. Naomi became bitter. Ruth came to Yahweh. I want you to realize Ruth is hurting too. She has suffered immeasurable pain and heartache. She had endured great loss as well, and yet she was not bitter and not blaming God. She had redirected her focus, and we'll see this next week, off herself. You see, this is the remedy for dealing with bitterness. Get it off yourself and onto somebody else. Start investing in someone else. No matter what happens in our life, no matter how unfair or heartbreaking the circumstances we've been dealt are, we get to choose whether or not we get bitter or allow the hardships in life to make us better. That's a choice. No doubt, wounds inflicted by the type of trauma that Naomi went through were real. I can't even imagine losing one loved one, let alone three. And so please don't think I'm diminishing her pain. She was in pain, but she had a choice, and so do we, whether or not we allow our pain to make us bitter or to become better because of it. So Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I really like the voice. I don't know if you were able to look at that translation, but but I love this. It says, do not call me Naomi ever again, for I am no longer pleasant. Call me Mara instead, for I am filled with bitterness because the highest one has treated me bitterly. Just call me bitter because life has been bitter to me. You're really being too hard on Naomi. She went through so much. She endured so much. 
Might I add that so much of what she went through was self-inflicted? She left the place of God's blessing to go to a place that was cursed. That was, that was her biggest mistake she could have left. You see, what God wants us to do and what I'm really trying to learn in my own life is to trust him at every level. When, when pain and disappointment comes, because it will, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will. Not you might, you will have trouble. Count on it. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have hurt. You're going to have disappointment. It is part of life. But in the midst of that, God wants us to trust him explicitly in that pain. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and your life is bitter because of something that's been done to you or something that you endured even as a little child. Maybe you're bitter or angry with God because he allowed it. Perhaps you fault him in letting you down or being asleep on the job. That was Naomi. But she didn't realize, and neither do we sometimes, that, that her pain was an opportunity to trust God. Instead, she'd allowed her pain to define her. Have you ever been around someone who talks about something that happened to them 30 years ago like it was today? As someone who's allowed their pain to define them instead of God to define them. Can I just tell you, you are more than what you survived. That thing that you endured, you endured it. <laughs> you survived it. But it does not have to define you. It doesn't have to consume your every waking minute. So many of us have an unhealthy attachment to the past, to what's been done to us, the wrong that's been done to us, instead of trusting God to right it. It's hard to move forward when you're stuck in your past. It's hard to move forward when you're stuck in what happened to you last week. Dr. Tony Evans, in his book, Guiding Your Family in a Misguided World, gives an illustration that I love. He says, as two monks walked along a river's edge, they saw an old woman sitting by the bank, upset because there was no bridge. One of the monks offered to carry her across, to which she agreed. So the two monks joined hands and carried her to the other side. She thanked them and went on their way. After the monks had walked a mile or two, the second monk began to complain about the pain in his back and the dirt on his clothes. A few minutes later, that second monk griped again. My back is hurting so badly, I cannot go on. And he asked his fellow traveler, isn't your back hurting? Of course not, replied the first monk. You're still carrying the woman, but I set her down several miles back. Some of us are here tonight and we're still hurting deeply by something that happened in the past because we've chosen not to set it down. We're still carrying it, and it's affecting us deeply. It's still causing pain in our life. We all have regrets. We all have wounds. Most of us have endured abuse, and this room is sitting full of pain. But that, that, that is an unfortunate part of life. This is a sinful world. Those things happen. But if they're not dealt with properly, they can become toxic in our lives and cause the bitterness that Naomi testified about in her own life. I've heard it said, if you don't deal with your past, it will dominate your present and dictate your future. So how do we practically deal with that kind of pain and disappointment? This is key. We recognize God's sovereignty in it. I believe, I don't, I don't know what you believe, but I believe that God is sovereign over all. And I believe he's sovereign even in suffering. Every trial, every heartache, every pain in our life is an opportunity to trust God. 
If you don't believe me, look at Genesis chapter 50. Turn back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 50, verse 20. This is Joseph, who, who knows Joseph had been through so much pain in his life, so many unfair things happened to him in his life, so much abuse, if you will, happened in his life. He really didn't do anything to deserve it. He got the roll under the deal. He got a handful of sour lemons handed to him. But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says he, he meets his brothers who have caused him a lot of pain, and he says, but as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, as we study Joseph's life of pain and suffering, we realize that Joseph found strength to persevere in the midst of his suffering because he understood that the pain he endured might have been met by Satan for evil, but allowed by God for good. Do, do you understand? You see, if, if God isn't sovereign over all, he is not worthy of our trust. You say, well, Rhea, did, did God allow this pain in my life? I'm just telling you that if he wasn't big enough to stop it, he's not worthy of your trust. He's not. And so you have to choose to see that God is sovereign over all and everything that he allows in our life has a purpose. It's for his glory and our good. And do you believe that? Do you believe that he is truly good? I read this quote this week, and it's just stuck with me all week long. She said, if God is not in control, this was uh, revive our hearts. Uh, if God is not in control, even if his intentions are good, then we can't actually trust him to ordain what is right and best. If God is in control, but he isn't good, then we also can't trust him particularly his intentions when suffering comes. But if God is in control and he is good, then, and here's the clincher, even when his, pain, his plan involves pain, we can trust him, fully trust him. And we take comfort within the suffering that he sends. You say, Maria, God sent suffering. Can I tell you, every bit of suffering I have had in my life has formed me and made me more like him. It's been an opportunity to trust him. I used to travel with a wooden block. Leslie, do you remember this? I used to travel with a wooden block and a nail and a hammer. And I would talk about how the enemy hammered me over and over and over with pain and heartache and disappointment, but it only drove me deeper. I said, this block is symbolic of God. That nail is me and the hammer is Satan. And every time he hammered me, it only drove me deeper and deeper into God. You see, every pain, every heartache, every disappointment, every trial and tribulation in our life is an opportunity to trust God, to trust the sovereign God who is sovereign over all, who is Lord over all who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And he, what was, the, what was the quote I gave you, Dave? He permits what he hates to grow what he loves. Joseph understood what the enemy meant for evil. God sovereignty, sovereignly established in order to put him in a place for the saving of many lives. We can be confident that God works all things, including our suffering. For, for our good and his glory. If we believe God is absolutely good, then we trust that anything that he allows in our life is for a good purpose. If I'm hidden in God, in Christ Jesus, if I'm hidden in him, that means anything that gets to me has to what? First come through him.
that he's permitted it if it comes to me. And if he's permitted it and he is always good, then what he's permitted must be going to bring something good out of me. What would happen? How can it change our scope of suffering and trials and tribulations if we started to look at it that way instead of, poor me, I can't believe you allow this in my life. Lord, do you even love me? I'm not even sure you love me. What would happen? If we believe that scripture is the absolute truth, then we'll trust that whatever he allows, he's working together for our good. Joseph XL says, God is sovereign in the distribution of sufferings and tribulations. His own people have frequently the greatest share of troubles in this life. And this is the part that I like, that their souls, which are too full of earthly attachments, may be weaned from the world. So often when those sufferings or tribulations come, we're quick to do to God what Naomi did, to fault him, to charge him with wrongdoing. Bitter people have a tendency to blame God for their problems. Let's be honest, who caused Naomi's problems? (laughs) She and Elimelech did. Her problem started when she and her husband decided to move outside God's will to do what they thought was best. Self-inflicted, yet she blamed God. Naomi was so focused on her pain and loss that she couldn't see anything else. She couldn't see how God was working in her life, and we're going to see that next week. It was like the story of the disciples in the storm. Do you remember what, when the disciples were caught in the storm and God, God summoned Peter to come walk on the water? Peter said, if it's you, God, call you, summon me to yourself. Do you remember that story? And Peter was walking on the water above the storm. <laughs> it, but when his focus shifted off of God, off of Jesus, onto the storm, what happened? He started to sink. Jesus was still there in his storm. But he let the storm distract him from Jesus. Jesus never moved. Peter's focus did. And you see, that's what happened. Naomi's focus moved when she decided to go to Moab. She took her eyes off of God and what he was doing in her life and his faithfulness in her life. And she decided to take matters into her own hands. We avoid becoming bitter by keeping our focus on Jesus and off our circumstances. We avoid becoming bitter when we realize that the storm is the greatest. When the storm is the greatest, God is the closest. When the pain is the greatest, God remains with us. Naomi allowed bitterness to reign in her life because she failed to recognize God's provision in the midst of it. One commentator I read used this illustration, and I loved it. Uh, He he was talking about how this pebble uh, can illustrate our perspective when it comes to pain. Every trouble we experience is like this pebble. If we hold it too close to our eye, it fills the whole world, and it puts everything else out of focus. If we hold it at a proper viewing distance, it can be examined and evaluated in a more reasonable and accurate perspective. But here's what I love. If we throw it at our feet where it belongs, it can be seen in its true setting. Just one more bump on the pathway to eternity. Just one more bump on the pathway to eternity. But sadly, most of us view our pain and our suffering and our trials like this. Right up here, right up front. We have them in our focus all the time. It's all about those. They, they take all of our focus. Even when we hold them out here, we're still focused on them instead of God. But it needs to go at our feet. And we need to just view it as another bump on the pathway to eternity. Jesus, in Luke 17, uh, if you want to turn there, Luke 17, 1 through 4. I love this. 
Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he says this, and I'm going to read it to you in, in this translation. It might not be the one that's in your lap, so listen to me. Betrayals are inevitable, but great devastation will come to the one guilty of betraying others. It would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck and be hurled into the deepest sea than to face the punishment of betraying one of my dear ones. So be alert to your brother's condition. And if you see him going in the wrong direction, cry out and correct him. If there is true repentance on his part, forgive him. No matter how many times in a day your brother sins against you and says, I'm sorry, I'm changing, forgive me. You need to forgive him each and every time. I, I love that. You need to forgive him each and every time so you don't get bitter. Jesus is not issuing this command, and it's a command for the offender's benefit. He's saying it for the benefit of the person who's been hurt. He's saying, don't hold on to hurt and offense because it's not worth the result, bitterness. See, this is what we do. Notice it said betrayals are inevitable. In, in the New King James, it says opportunities uh, to, uh, does somebody have it sitting there in their, their lap? You can be sure offenses will come. That's what it says. You can be sure that offenses will come. The opportunity to trip up because of what somebody has done to you will come. I promise you. I promise you. Offenses will come. The opportunity to be offended will come. Jesus himself said it. It's in red. I, I promise you, you are not exempt. You will become, you will have an opportunity to become offended. Although in another passage in the scriptures, it says it's to your glory to overlook an offense. It's to your glory to overlook it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking that bait because you see the word that's used for offense there, for betrayal there is scandalon. It's the part of the bait oh, on a mousetrap. It's the part where, where the bait is put on a mousetrap. That's the picture that Jesus is drawing there. He says, you can be sure that somebody's going to bait you to trip you up. You can be positive about it. Don't take the bait. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. Offense is bait by the enemy of your soul to trap and trip you up. So Jesus is saying, here is the solution. So you don't get tripped up with bitterness or unforgiveness. Forgive, 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 forgive. They do it to you again. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Keep forgiving. Otherwise, you'll become bitter. You can't change what happened yesterday. But we can make a decision today to stop allowing what happened to affect our future. Romans 5, 3 through 5, if you want to turn there, it says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Rejoice in trials? Really? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. How do we develop perseverance, faith, character, strength? How do we develop that? Through trials and tribulations. See, we, we don't want those things in our life. We want to avoid them at all costs. And yet those are the very things that develop character in us, that make us more like him. I read a story this week of Char Charlotte Elliott. Does anybody know who she is? Charlotte Elliott of Brighton, England. I love England. Uh, was a bitter woman. Her health was broken and disability hardened her because I'm going to tell you, if you don't deal with, with bitterness, it will affect your health, I promise you. 
Um, her health was broken and disability hardened her. If God loved me, she complained, he would not have treated me this way. A Swiss minister, Dr. Caesar Milan, visited the Elliots to help Charlotte. During dinner, Charlotte lost her temper and spoke against God and family in a violent outburst. Her embarrassed family left the room. Dr. Milan was left with her, and he stared at her and finally spoke and said, you're tired of yourself, aren't you? You're holding on to hate and anger because you have nothing else in the world to cling to. Consequently, you've become sour, bitter, and resentful. Charlotte said to him, so what's your cure? He said, the faith you're trying to despise. As they talked, Charlotte softened, and she said, if I wanted to become a Christian and share the peace and joy you possess, what would I need to do? You would give yourself to God just as you are now, with your fightings and fears, hates and loves, pride and shame, he answered. I would come to God just as I am. Is that right? Charlotte did come just as she was. Her heart was changed that day. As time passed, she found and claimed John 6, 37. He who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Several years ago, or several years later, she wrote a poem that most of you will know. It was printed and sold across England. Now it is the most inspirational, invitational hymn in history. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That bitter woman understood she had to come just like she was. She didn't need to clean herself up first. She couldn't fix herself. She had to come just as she was. And God made the bitter sweet. Naomi actually changed her name to bitter. This is who I become. This is my character now. In a, daring, in a despairing response to the loss that she, she encountered, the pain she endured. She was bitter that the Almighty allowed it, permitted it, caused it. Yet you'll see next week in her story, and I promise you in your story too, that alongside the pain she suffered comes the goodness of God, his sovereignty working. Sometimes we can't see it, but God is always working for our good and his glory. I asked Megan to sing that song tonight. I loved it. Do you not love that song? About the goodness of the Lord. It's chasing me. It's dogging me down. The Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you believe that? You know that psalm. How many of you know that psalm? Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will, will follow me all the days of my life. That word follow, do you know what it means? It's a picture of a hound dog. It's a picture of dogging you down, chasing after you. God's goodness chases after you. It's the chorus we sung. He's chasing after me. He's dogging me down with his goodness and his mercy. And yet I am so stuck in this pit of despair because of the bitterness and the wrong that I'm viewing God has handed to me. Instead of saying, oh Lord, thank you that this is an opportunity to trust you, to see you come through, that you are working in this situation for my good. There's something in my life that this week I had to look at. Something in my life that, that happened, I don't know, a while ago, a long time ago. And I might have forgiven that person, but it was still alive in me. It was still alive. In, and I would pull that out just as feel sorry for Rhea. And, and I really looked at God and I faulted him as not taking care of me. Lord, you weren't watching over me. You could have stopped this and you didn't. You weren't taking care of me and I faulted God. 
And this week he said to me, we're going to deal with that in you, Rhea. Because while I allowed that in your life, and it was painful, and it was hurtful, I promise you, it was pain like I had before. This week I started saying, huh, if you allowed that, even though it was more pain than I've ever endured before, Lord, you must want to bring something good out of it. And I've been so focused on the bad that came that I can't even, I'm not even in faith waiting in expectation of what you're going to do. Because the Bible said, remember, I read you the scripture from Romans 5. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. His hope, if, if you direct your hope to him, it will not disappoint. He'll do what he sent it to do. One last scripture before we close tonight. Turn over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, um, verses 12 through 15. Hebrews comes right before the book of James. If you get to James, you've gone too far. It says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, because that's what happens. When you've endured all kinds of pain and heartache, you begin to just, you know, feeble hands which hang down and feeble knees, and make straight the path for your feet so that the lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. You see, I'll tell you, suffering and pain and heartache, it can cripple people. It can cripple people. There are people sitting in this room tonight, no matter how religious you are, that are still crippled about something that happened to you 30 years ago. And he's saying, make straight the path for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Here's the solution to bitterness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully. So I'm going to pursue peace with all people. Even though they tried to disable me, even though they tried to hurt me, I'm going to instead not be, not, I'm going to choose to let God heal me and I'm going to pursue peace with all people. And that word pursue is that same dog you down like surely goodness and mercy. And I'm going to pursue peace. I don't care what you've done to me. I am pursuing peace with you. You are not going to offend me. You are not going to make me angry, angry and bitter. I am going to pursue peace with all people because I'm going to walk in holiness because without that, no one's going to see the Lord. See, this is what we think. When I went to meet, when I went to see my daddy, I knew why the Lord didn't take him yet. He was bitter over something that had happened to him. I said, daddy, you cannot waltz into heaven with that kind of bitterness in your heart. Pursue peace with all people and holiness because without which no one is going to see the Lord, big guy. I'm sorry if that offends anybody. I'm sorry if that hurts too much and you're thinking, well, Rhea, it's about grace God understands. Yes, he does, but he has given you the word of God to follow. And he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, looking carefully in your own heart, examining your own life, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That doesn't mean he wants to grace you. Here's what it means. He's given me grace to forgive somebody who I don't think is forgiven. He's given me grace to forgive and release somebody who has done me dirty and isn't even sorry. He's given me grace to pursue peace with somebody I want to smack silly. Looking carefully, Rhea Briscoe, examining your whole heart, lest anybody fall short of the grace of God and let any root of bitterness Grow up within them 
springing up, causing trouble, because by this many will become defiled. I love it in the Passion Translation. I know some of you don't like the Passion Translation. I don't, I don't read it to like my Bible. I need a new Bible. Pray for me. But um, I like to study and read all the translations, and so this one caught my eye. So be made strong, even in your weakness, by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and worship. And strengthen your weak knees, for as you keep walking forward on God's path, not your path, on God's path, all of your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. Look at that. This is God's word. It's so powerful. Why don't we like to read it? It's so good. Look at this. So be made strong even in your weakness by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and in worship and strengthen your weak knees for as you keep walking forward on God's pleasant path because it leads to pleasant places, as you keep walking forward on God's path, all of your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly towards holiness. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace and make sure no one lives with the root of bitterness sprouting out within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. So, in closing, don't let a root of bitterness grow up within you because it will grow up and defile many. That word root, it, the root is what's hidden underground. It's concealed. It's undetectable, really. That's some of us with bitterness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me quote some scripture to you. I'll pray for you, sister underground though. I'm keeping it down there. I'm angry, bitter. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Until it starts sprouting out. When I was a little girl growing up, hated it. My daddy had a garden, hated it, hated it because I was like his little slave. <laughs> and that was what we ate from. I mean, that was our, my mom would can, and that's what really fed our family. And my dad took pride in his garden. And, but I, he would say to me, Rhea, it's time to go weed the garden. And I'd be like, this things grow so fast. And he would give me this bucket, and he had this tool with like a, like a sharp thing on the end of it. And he'd say, now get down in and get the, the root out, Rhea. Make sure you get the root. Well, I wanted to play. I wanted to go be with my friends. And so I would wait till he went back in the house and I'd just go down through and snap the, the weeds off at the top. And my dad would come out and I'd be like, it's finished. Look how good it looks. And he'd look in the bucket and he'd say, Rhea Michelle, you didn't get the root. And he'd make me go back and start digging those things back out again. And I, if you looked at it, it looked beautiful. But Daddy knew what I didn't know. He knew that if I left the root behind, that thing would sprout out with a vengeance. And those roots would go in and it would choke the life out of the good plants. It would suck the life out of them and, and take all the nutrients that were meant for those good plants to, to grow weeds. Mm. Somebody... See, that's what bitterness does. God is saying, I'm not saying this because what happened to you was right. I'm not saying this because I'm letting that other person off the hook. I'm saying this for you because that bitterness is rooted in you and it is choking out life. It's choking out life. And I want you to let me get that thing at the root 
at the root. Notice it sprouts up quickly. The bitter root brings bitter fruit, and it defiles many. It defiles many. Last scripture for the night, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I just want to ask you, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, don't grieve the Spirit? That, that service, they grieve the Spirit. Have you ever heard that? This is why we need to be prepared in season and out of season. This is why we need to study the word of God to show ourselves approved because we're misquoting that scripture when we say, oh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How does it say we grieve the Holy Spirit? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, malice and slander and every form of criticism. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Be imitators of God. What if we just, what if we just live that scripture? I used to drive with this one because I've got a mouth in case you didn't notice. And I used to drive with this on my um, my dashboard of my car. And I was memorizing it. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, malice, and slander, every form of criticism. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Dearly loved children. And live a life of love. What if we just memorized that scripture? What if I just didn't let any unwholesome talk? Because bitter, 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 bitter roots will make unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What if I just didn't let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth? What if the only thing I said was helpful for building others up according to their needs? That it will benefit those who listen. And then what if I truly didn't grieve the Holy Spirit? Because how we grieve him is bitterness, rage, anger, malice, and slander, and every form of criticism. We grieve him by not forgiving one another. I can't, this is, I'm just reading you God's word. I'm not making this up. I'm not driving it to try to stir something in you. I'm just telling you what God's word says. And it says, get rid of, and it means to throw it aside. It means to dump it in the garbage can. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, malice, and slander, and every form of criticism. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Pursue peace with one another. Pursue it. Regardless of how they respond to you. See, this is what I'm just telling you. We get to choose. I've set before you life and death, he says. Choose life. Choose life. And every time I choose something contrary to his word, I choose death. I'm not saying this holier-than-thou stuff. I'm telling you, this is what I'm learning this week. He's teaching me. You just are getting my crumbs. This is what he's teaching me. That I get to pick the quality of my life. And dear, when you do not have quality in your life, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you do not have quality of life when you're keeping a record of somebody else's wrongs. You, you do not have quality of life when you're not pursuing peace with people. And you certainly don't have it when you're harboring bitterness.
and unforgiveness. My mom used to say, the best revenge is a life lived well. Get them back by living well. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you come week after week after week and um, that you show up in person means a lot to me. And next week, we're going to study Ruth chapter 2. Go ahead and, and look through it. It's, it's fabulous. Make sure you look at Boaz and look at him as a picture of Jesus. He is a picture of Jesus and what he does in our life. And so um, we'll pick up in Ruth chapter 2 next week. Let me pray for you. Father, I am so grateful. So grateful for your love, for your goodness, your kindness, your long-suffering. I'm so grateful that you give us your word to correct us when we stubbornly insist on going our own way. You're so tender-hearted. You're so merciful with us. And I love you so much. Thank you that you won't let me go my own way, that you draw me back to Bethlehem when I'm insisting on going to Moab. And I pray, Lord God, that the words that were spoken in this room tonight would be words of life that would penetrate, that it truly would bring life change. Most of all, Father, I want so badly for you to be glorified and magnified in the lives of every person in this room. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.